0: hello everybody alex kapitko here centered from reality podcast i don't know how but it is february 1st i was looking at an expiration date of something i hadn't opened that was in the in the cabinet this morning and it said i think it said like september 28th 2023 and in my head i'm going oh yeah that's pretty recent i think and then i'm like holy crap no we are in february 2024 whoo doggy i'm I don't even really know what to say about that. I was writing the date down on some forms this morning, and my heart just kind of dropped. So (laughs) that's where I'm at. Anyways, it has been a very crazy, busy week, but mainly in a really good way. A lot of life updates that I don't want to talk about quite yet. I don't really want to get those out into the ether quite yet. But some of the things I've been waiting on for a while, positive progress on some of that positive updates on the current job I have, kind of at now a a unique crossroads, time to make a decision about a myriad of different things in my life. Again, I've been talking about the push and pull of working and traveling abroad versus staying around here and stuff. And it's a big complicated issue. So I have a lot to think about. But as one of my mentors told me, I think two days ago, I have a few options right now that are opening up. And I don't really have to decide right at this moment. He just told me to kind of sit back and ride into it and just see what happens. And I'm trying to do that. I'm such a planner. I'm very OCD. These type of things don't always come easy for me, but I'm trying. So anyways, (laughs) this is not a self-help podcast, so I will move on from this. Today I wanted to start (sighs) Tucker Carlson and Jordan Peterson, two of some of my least favorite people did kind of a panel on the sworn enemy tour. I guess Tucker's doing this sworn enemy tour. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's happening and he's doing it. <laughs> and five days ago, he did this with Jordan Peterson. It's part of Tucker Carlson's show, I guess. And there's a few clips I wanted to play and react to because it's, it's just a fascinating thing to me how much Tucker Carlson is changing. He's changing like right in front of our eyes. And you know, it shows me that the media, American media, mainstream media, never understood Tucker Carlson because he gets fired from Fox, I think, what was it, back in May, late April, early May, and they're all going, oh, he'll be done, he won't be able to keep that same Fox audience, he's going to, you know, he'll always have a platform, but it's going to be much smaller, maybe, but I still think that people underestimated how popular he is. And, you know, Trump now attacks Fox News. A lot of kind of the Tucker-Trump type of supporters have moved on from Fox News. And Tucker's really gotten quite radicalized over the last year, less than a year even. And in real time, we're seeing him just get more and more toxic and more and more isolated, more and more reactionary, and more and more of a true economic, MAGA, national conservative populace who has contradictory public policy views. And contradicts things he said even a couple years ago, and that's why I want to play this video because it shows up like the first part. I want to play here. He talks about Trump, and he talks about the corruption of political elites and how Trump is different. And then he also gaslights us and says Trump wants to make the country normal again. And it's like holy fuck, Tucker. Sorry, I'm trying not to cuss as much, but this one just had my brain explode, melt, and I just had to talk about this. So. That's one part. And then later, you'll also hear this part. He he goes back to that thing, oh, Biden couldn't have won the election because they said he had more votes than Obama. Yeah, right. It's like, no, dude, this was a highly divisive election and Trump's toxic. But anyways, it is just interesting to me because I think my theory of Tucker is getting more and more true, is that he seems like this person who's always been kind of laughed at by political elites... He lived in liberal cities like the Bay Area. Well, he's from San Francisco. Spent a lot of time in New York, and I think he's become just kind of a reactionary to anything the left supports. He kind of despises the left, and he's slowly just isolated himself and become more anti, anti Trump and anti left, anti establishment. And he's up in Maine now, you know, at his compound and. I think isolation does a lot of things to people and it's definitely radicalized him because I think he was fine when he was writing articles back, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But as soon as he started becoming a opinion journalist and opinion nighttime news guy on Fox, it gave him a lot of time to get into stuff that fascinated him. And now he's talking about UFOs and conspiracy theories and Patriot Purge and all this stuff. And he's just, to me... Almost more fascinating than Donald Trump, just watching his entire transition happen in real time. So anyways, let's get to the clip. Sorry.
1: Clearly at all. I was thinking yesterday, it really is like looking through a shower curtain. You see these opaque shapes lurking, but you can't tell if they're, you know, friend or foe, nude or clothed. You know, you don't really know what you're looking at, but you know that there is a collision coming between Titanic forces, the population of America versus its leaders. And it's coming to a head because of the structure of this election, and so you have the Republican candidate. And he is going to be the candidate whose election is the one thing. What I think it's I think it's it's kind of determined, um, and of course it's politics, so it's filled with all sorts of. I mean, the amount of ugliness display beneath the surface,
0: and of course the guy he supports, <laughs> not exactly perfect either, but I digress
1: in all politics everywhere is really awe-inspiring you know these people are really dirty everywhere not just my country you may know about that but um the one thing that the people in power and i don't just mean in washington in our government i mean in our financial centers and entertainment centers our country's kind of cool because they're they're identified by cities so los angeles new york washington make all the decisions of course and the one thing they won't tolerate Is the orange? Do
0: you know what's interesting though? And sorry, I keep interrupting, but they say that the coastal cities make all of the decisions. But because of the electoral college and the way our Senate is developed, where each state has two senators no matter what size they are, it actually seems like rural areas might have more of a voice than, for example, California, that is massive and has the same amount of senators. The Basically, the, the number of citizens to senator in California is significantly different than in, say, like, South Dakota or Montana or something like that. And so one individual has much more p- voting power in rural red states than in coastal cities. So I just never understood this whole argument that the coast determine everything. It's actually, in my opinion, kind of the opposite.
1: And power. And you sort of, and that, like, you wonder, well, why? because Trump is not a radical at all. And Trump's vision for America this is an informed assessment.
0: <laughs> Trump isn't a radical. I like that one. This is a guy who literally has lied about the election, never conceded, tried to orchestrate a coup, 91 <sighs> indictments. <laughs>
1: Trump? Trump's vision for America is like Studio 54, 1978. <laughs> like, tr- I'm serious. Trump really loved the country he grew up in, he really loved it, and he means it. He loved the people who lived there, he loved its traditions, its weird little customs, its idiosyncrasies, and that's kind of what he wants. He doesn't want a brave new future of new things.
0: Ask yourself why Trump likes that period, though, Tucker.
1: He wants to return, not to antebellum America, but to, like, 1980 America. And it's kind of hard to argue why that's bad, actually. And so that's not a revolutionary agenda, nor is it a counter-revolutionary agenda. It's a return to normalcy.
0: (laughs) You know, Tucker's smiling right there in this. And you just wonder, Tucker, what happened? Like, (laughs) Tucker is calling Trump a return to normalcy. Bro, we have, we have, sorry, four years of Trump. Normalcy was not exactly what happened. There were so many crazy headlines with Trump that we stopped even talking about some of them. Normal... Normalcy, give me a break. And I mean, if you really wanted to just track how far open the Overton window has gone since Trump's been in office, it's almost like he's just blown open, like blown open the Overton window. Like the Overton window is just not even a concept that's useful for tracking Changes in parties and how certain issues just become widespread or accepted or radical like to call Trump's presidency normal is just insane to me and bringing back normalcy like give me a break. Anyways, let's get to this other part where he talks about Biden and 2024 and all of that fun
1: movement on behalf of Donald Trump. That's 100% real and you have absolute ironclad resistance to the democratic process working its way to legitimate inclusion by the people who have all the power. What happens next? I don't even know. And I'll sum it up this way. Today, it is a race in the foreseeable future between Donald Trump, the former president, now effectively the Republican nominee, and the incumbent president, president, they got more votes than Barack Obama somehow.
0: Okay, first off, Tucker does the air quotes when he says current president, blah, blah, blah. Um, not, Not really surprising he says that, but let me go back just a little bit.
1: President. He got more votes than Barack Obama somehow, because um, he's just so popular. This the magnetism. Um. I, I, okay, the
0: reason I play this part is because I hate it when conservatives come out and say, oh yeah, Biden got more votes than Barack Obama because he's just so popular and so vibrant. And they always use this as kind of an example that the 2020 election was rigged or stolen or whatever you want to say, basically citing the fact that there was higher turnout for Biden than Obama. Tucker knows better than this. Tucker's not an idiot. It's such a weak point because all you have to do is just use your brain for 10 seconds and you can get an answer as to why Obama, like, or sorry, Biden had more votes than Obama. The answer is it was the most divisive polarized election of our time, or at least in current memory that I have. And a lot of people hated Donald Trump and a lot of people love Donald Trump. And a lot of people did not want Donald Trump to win. So turnout was high for Biden. COVID was going on. People saw the craziness. More people turned out to vote against Trump. It wasn't about Biden. It was just about getting Trump out of office. I'm sure if you polled people, they would say they prefer Obama to Biden. Or people that voted for both of them, I mean. But that doesn't mean the election's stolen. It just means that it was so divisive and people were so anti-Trump that a lot of people voted for Biden. I'm one of those people. I wasn't a huge Biden fan, but I was so disgusted by the four years of Trump that there was no doubt in my mind. In 2016, I did not vote for Hillary. I I wrote in John Kasich, I think, if I remember correctly, because I just couldn't stomach voting for Hillary Clinton. In hindsight, I would have voted for Hillary Clinton because now I understand how dangerous Trump is. And I think a lot of people learned from 2016 And just voted for Biden and didn't go third party. If you look at 2016 versus 2020, third parties destroyed Hillary, not destroyed her, but they took a lot of votes from her and is one of the reasons why Trump beat her. In 2020, not a whole lot of third party activity. And that's probably why Biden was able to beat Trump. So it is such a disingenuous argument when people like Tucker say, oh, Biden's not legitimate. Somehow he got more votes than Barack Obama. Like it's a big conspiracy. It's not. It just shows how toxic and bad for the Republican Party Trump is. Other than that, like 30, 40 percent, he turns off a lot of people and they're going to keep losing elections with Trump until they move on from him. Sorry, full stop. Anyways, what I want to mainly talk about today is the Nevada primary slash caucus. Yes, two events within three days that are going to splinter Republican voters. Trump's on the ballot in the caucus, but not the primary. Nikki Haley is on the primary ballot, but not in the caucus. I want to talk about that and how it's showing quite a huge divide inside of the Republican Party and how Nevada's politics might be changed forever. And I also want to talk about basically the RNC's internal chaos as well. But first, I do want to start with some good international news, which obviously, as I've said many times, is hard to come by. It looks like Europe has agreed, the the European Union in Brussels, has agreed to keep helping Ukraine. And it found about 50 billion euros to give in aid to Ukraine. The Economist writes here in quotes, "On, On February 1st, it took just an hour or so to approve 50 billion euros or $54 billion in aid for Ukraine as part of an update to the bloc's budget. The article continues, The swiftly agreed deal is a welcome fillip for authorities in Kiev that desperately need the money, though it will be spread out over the next four years. And we'll see what this means because the United States, as we've talked about, caught up in a chaotic deadlock. Now Trump doesn't want border funding. He wants it to be a political issue for the 2024 elections. We have Greg Abbott almost trying to create a new Ruby Ridge type of situation on the southern border, basically disobeying the Supreme Court decision. We're seeing House Republicans, even Mitch McConnell now, kowtowing to them and pretty much turning his back on Ukrainian aid. It's a mess. So it is good to see that, you know, Olaf Scholz of Germany, Emmanuel Macron of France have come together to support Ukraine. And I think one of the most interesting parts is that Viktor Orban wasn't as big of an issue as people were thinking he would be going into this. And Orban has talked about vetoing any aid. He is definitely willing to see the issue from Putin's perspective. He is definitely closer politically to Putin than he is to, like, Olaf Scholz in Germany, for example. And he's also pretty much, like attacked the european union's institutions does not really believe in the european union even though they get money from the european union so maybe that's why they don't leave they've also been violating rule of law obligations that's like he's been obviously attacking its judiciary not combating corruption cutting down on on the media and free press free speech his immigration policies are pretty draconian anyways in this case it looks like the EU is basically like middle finger Viktor Orban. And basically, as this meeting approached, diplomats from throughout the European Union basically said there would be reprisals against Hungary if it continued to hold up this agreement. And they talked about basically depriving Hungary of its vote in EU bodies. And that would be tough because I think you need all the countries to agree and there's 26. But basically... They also talked about how dependent, as I've talked about before, the Hungarian economy is on EU transfers. That's 3 to 4% of Hungarian GDP, according to The Economist. And apparently, <laughs> threats of economic reprisals worked because Viktor Orban and Hungary basically folded. No one knows exactly why. But it is really interesting to me in a myriad of ways that this happened without much of a fight. The other thing about all of this that really does kind of fascinate me is Giorgia Miloni, Prime Minister of Italy. And the reason why I bring her up is because she basically rose from the ashes of Italian fascism and kind of neo-fascism. She's a far-right populist. In the past was sympathetic to like Marine Le Pen in France, Vladimir Putin, Victor Orban – very anti-immigration, very anti-LGBTQ rights. Definitely more of a Trumpian type of figure. But as soon as she got into power, yes, she wants to expand the executive, and a lot of Italian moderates are not happy about that. And she wants to put through constitutional reforms that would allow the authority to, or sorry, the executive to have more authority. But ever since she became the leader of Italy, she's actually helped support Ukraine, worked with the EU. And has kind of been moderated by Italy's institutions, and in this case, she also, you know, meets with Schulz and Macron, and was apparently part of the solution to making sure Viktor Orbán didn't keep trying to oppose this. And so, you know, Viktor Orbán is folding in this; he's silenced, or at least for now, silenced. And also Marine Le Pen, or not Marine Le Pen, sorry, um, Giorgia Meloni. Over the last year, yes, she is still a right-winger, anti-immigration, but she's kind of just ruled Italy, ran Italy, I guess is a better way to put it, like kind of just the normal right-wing politician. I'm not a supporter of her, but it's an interesting thing to see how she's kind of been self-moderated over the last year, and she's actually been part of the solution, not the problem. So we're going to have to keep watching this. Again, to me, to you, 50 billion euros is a shit ton of money, right? But 50 billion dollars to Ukraine, or 50 billion, uh, billion euros to Ukraine over four years, that's really not that much. It's a little bit more than 12 million a year. Ukraine's going to need more than that. And we're seeing internal division again between Zelensky and some of his generals. So it, there's a lot of troub- troubling trends on the horizon, to put it lightly. Anyways, let's move on. First and foremost, though, if you know how to get a song out of your head, that would be very nice. I've had Isla Bonita by Madonna and Holiday by by Madonna. Both stuck in my head, and I think the universe just picks which one's going to pop into my head at a given time, but as I was prepping for this podcast, I was just humming La Isla Bonita, and I'm kind of sick of humming it, so let me know. But anyways, Nevada on February 6th slash 8th is the next state to have, a, (laughs) I mean, a primary slash caucus, right? So we had, we obviously started with Iowa, then we get to New Hampshire, and now first week of February, we're on to the next one. Obviously, the field has changed a lot. And (laughs) as The Economist says, Participating in Nevada's primary this year, Republican primary this year, is a bit like playing a choose-your-own-adventure game. And guys, I'll just start out by prefacing with a choose-your-own-adventure game is not exactly how you want a democracy to operate, especially with the significance of this 2024 election. But I'll digress for a moment on that. Um, So this is pretty crazy, but basically, you have to choose between a primary on February 6th and a caucus on February 8th. Here are the caveats. If you pick the February 6th primary, which is a state-run, bipartisan one, you, like me, I live in Nevada, I, I vote by mail, I already got my ballot mailed to me, I can vote in it. Now, I'm not a Trump guy. <laughs> and here's the funny thing is, Trump isn't on this ballot. Because he is in the February 8th caucus which I'll get to in a minute. Basically, you can choose between Nikki Haley and four others that you've never heard of. And this is on the state-run primary on February 6th. So you can vote for Nikki Haley, but here's the problem. If you vote by mail and you want to vote in the primary, say you're a Trumper, he's not listed. So then you have to wait until February 8th. Then... (laughs) you can vote for Donald Trump or Ryan Binkley who I keep seeing show up in Iowa and then in New Hampshire. He's a pastor from Texas. And then on February 8th, you also cannot vote for Nikki Haley. So the only two that are actually like running against each other, obviously it's not that close, but at least Nikki Haley is officially still running against him, attack moderately attacking him now all of that jazz. Let me sum this up because it's obviously chaotic and complicated. February 6th, state-run, bipartisan, you can vote for Nikki Haley. Trump's not on the ballot. February 8th, it's the Nevada Republican Party caucus. Trump and Ryan Binkley are on the ballot, but not Nikki Haley. (sighs) Ran out of breath talking about that. But basically, a little background on this is that in 2021, Nevada's state legislature passed a law that replaced the caucuses run by the Democratic Party and the Republican parties, respectively. And instead, it did a bipartisan state run primary on the first Tuesday of February. <laughs> the idea was to put Nevada in the spotlight, to boost its importance in primary elections. It wanted to hold them earlier, and it wanted more people to come out. It wanted to be more representative of the electorate. Little side note Nevada is a complicated state, it is a battleground state. It's going to be an important state in this election the Vegas area is, I would say, more blue. And up in the Reno area, it is definitely more MAGA. And obviously, rural Nevada is quite Republican. And so Nevada is an interesting state. I mean, it's it's two senators, Jackie Rosen, Catherine Cortez Masto are both Democrats. It's governor, Governor Lombardo is a Republican. And so they wanted to go down this road of having a primary earlier on. And What happened, of course, (laughs) probably won't surprise you guys. Joe Biden and the DNC endorsed this, went along with it, and the Nevada Republican Party did not. They were not a fan of this. They thought it was another kind of Democratic establishment job to go against Republicans and decrease Republican turnout and bring in voter fraud, all of the typical talking points. And the reason this happened is there's a guy, Michael McDonald, who is the Nevada Republican Party's chairman. And, of course, he's a big Trumper, ardent supporter. And he argues that they didn't want to go along with this state-run primary on February 6th because it didn't require voter ID. The Economist notes here in quotes, McDonald feared that Democrats, and specifically members of the powerful Culinary Union, would change their party preference on the day of the poll to skew the results of the Republican primary. The article later continues, To exert control, Republicans decided to put on a caucus. And that leads us to the result of there being two votes in three days, and it's going to be a clusterfuck. It's going to be utter confusion. And this gets us to why... Nikki Haley's on one and not the other, and why Trump is on one, but not the other. So if the candidate is on the primary ballot, Nikki Haley, she's barred from participating in the caucus. Of course, this is the only way to get delegates, so she's screwed here. Trump wins Nevada by default. I mean, I think he'd win it anyways, but this to me just shows, I guess how the Republican Party is just going to back Trump no matter what, and just how broken internally the movement, the party, all of it is. And Haley was asked about why she's in this basically meaningless primary, and she said, in quotes, her campaign would focus on the states that are fair. Okay, I guess, sure, whatever you say, Nikki. Part of me wonders if this actually helps her out a little bit, because obviously she has been more on the offensive at Trump, over the last week or so, following New Hampshire, part of me kind of wonders if she can now say, see, they don't, they're, they're afraid of me, they won't even let me be in the caucus, too, they won't even let me run against Trump in Nevada, if I was a strategist for Nikki Haley's campaign right now, I would try to use this to say, see, the Nevada Republican Party, the RNC, which I'll get to in a little bit, they don't want opposition, they don't want a challenge, they don't want an alternative, Nikki should use that, again, she's been weak at times, good at other times. But either way, I'm kind of curious to see how this goes. Trump wins, obviously. I don't think there's any mystery about that. But the side notes and what Nikki does next going into South Carolina will be very fascinating, I think. And anyways, back to Nevada. (laughs) It's a really important swing state. And I don't know if a chaotic primary caucus divide is going to be good going into November. I mean, Don't you kind of want to consolidate people and get everyone out? You want the GOTV, get out to vote stuff happening. Also, we have to remember that (laughs) this seems like it's going to just divide some Republican voters. I mean, Trump's already said he doesn't need the Nikki Haley voters. When the margins are this close, you kind of do, dude. And this could just kind of divide the Republican Party more if you have two choices, and the two top candidates are in different ones, right? And second, caucuses are not exactly welcoming because you have to take time out of your evening to go out to churches and schools. It's it's a pain, right? Like You can't just mail in your ballot or drop it off. You have to be involved in the whole caucus process. So again, this just reminds me is that Yes, Trump is a cult-like figure, but he is actually more of a detriment, I think, to Republican electoral success. Of course, I may be eating crow in 2024's election in November, but as of now, it just seems like he's a detriment to them in a lot of different ways. And I was reading some interviews on a CNN article, and there's a guy, Joseph Martin, who they interviewed outside an early voting station in Henderson, Nevada, and he complained he wasn't able to find Trump on the ballot. He said, in quotes, he voted none of the above and plans to go to the caucus too. He said, in quotes, the person I wanted to vote for wasn't on this ballot. I didn't know he was not going to be on this thing here. <laughs> and then there's another guy, Bill Lane, who's another registered Republican who voted in the primary. He he said, in quotes, I don't understand why we're doing it that way. And he voted uh, Trump in 2020 but now supports Nikki Haley in the Nevada primary. So, I mean, I don't see this being a net good. I really don't. And, of course, like I said, and the AP also has a good piece on this, it talks about how this primary caucus divide is going to really help Trump probably sweep all the Republican delegates because it's it's him and that Texas megachurch pastor. So, yeah. But it's just weird where this is the third state in the GOP primary calendar, and <laughs> it's really not even a factor now. It it is just such a strange, strange process we're seeing unfold here. And this comes as we are seeing Republicans in Michigan. They mutinied against their party chair. And on January 24th, Arizona's chairman resigned after there is a recording that revealed basically he was giving money to Kerry Lake to stay out of politics. And this is also at the same time. That the RNC, the Republican National Committee, basically was saying, we're just going to call Trump the nominee. Nikki Haley's still in the race, but we're just going to say Trump's the winner. They've now backtracked on that, but now they also are talking about, I guess, trying to oust Ronna Romney McDaniels over just botched party policies and chaos. Steve Bannon is now furious over the party's spending and... Yeah, I mean, it is all just a complete nightmare. All of it's a complete nightmare for them. And it's just, it shows you the state of the country where all of this is happening and Trump still has arguably a coin flip chance in 2024's election. So we'll have to keep following this. A little bit shorter episode. I'm going to get out of here. Got a busy couple days ahead. But just wanted to talk about that because I'm in Nevada. This is just going to be quite a chaotic situation. So let me know your thoughts. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, You guys know the rest. Have a great night. Adios.